Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with hope and joy what you say to us today. Amen. Scripture today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 26 through 32. Hear these words. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their hands so as, they, so as to have something to share with the deity. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with the seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving for one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There are so many things that I think of when I think of anger. A lot of things I can't use as sermon illustrations. Um, one in particular is from a movie called Bad Boys, which uh, the commissioner, uh, he, you know, it's a cop action flick from like the 90s and the early 2000s with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. And the commissioner, like, whenever they get into a shoot or something like that, he always prescribes anger management. And like his thing is like, woosah. Like you have to just, you know, if anyone's ever heard that, I think it's hilarious. Anyways, I, I can't show you the clip because it's bad boys. Anyways, um, uh, when I first saw Star Wars, I was probably in third grade. I was sick, right? I was on the couch. My dad came home with the VHS and said, here, you have to watch this. And I said, I don't know what this is. So I got to watch Star Wars and uh, fell in love with all the characters and all that. But it wasn't until later in life that I really began to identify with Darth Vader. Uh, Darth Vader is sort of um, my model in a lot of ways, in all the wrong ways, but I really, really would agree with him. And I remember I was sort of watching this, and uh, I was watching the, the earlier ones, the prequels, and Anakin Skywalker, before he becomes Darth Vader, is really, really, really upset with, like, his counsel. They won't, like, give him the shot, right? They won't give him time. They won't, like, put him in the big game. They're like, no, you're too young. You're not ready yet. And he's furious. He's like, they don't understand how talented I am. They don't, they don't understand my gifts and my graces. They don't understand me. And I was like, I got you, Darth. You know, like, <laughs> you and me, we are on the same page here. And later, if, you, uh, uh, if you're a fan of Star Wars, the new ones came out, and uh, Kylo Ren uh, is not far uh, from some of those similar traits. And this is from, uh, uh, forget, The Force Awakens is what this is from right here. We have no confirmation, but we believe FN 2187 may have helped in the escape. <laughs> I get that, right? Like someone gives you bad news and you just destroy something. You go, you have something else to say now? <laughs> Anything else? 
Um, man, I just, I see myself in so many characters who struggle with anger. Uh, and maybe you agree with me. Uh, maybe you've had a bad day at work and you find yourself uh, responding like the, fam- uh, the famous angry garbage man. This is your bad day at work. Or maybe you find yourself like Sophie, you know, you uh, doing your job and then someone doesn't put the trash in there properly, it's sort of stuck. <laughs> <laughs> I know no one would respond like this, right, at at work. (laughs) No one, no one would ever respond like this, right? Nobody, nobody would ever kick or, or scream or, like, smash the world to smithereens or your neighbor's postage service, right? None of you would ever do that. And maybe some of you are fairly comfortable with anger and you uh, react like this. Um, Or maybe, maybe you experience anger more like the stormtroopers a little bit later on in the movie and you come across your boss who's angry, right? happened, right? I know that my wife really responds to this. It's like she comes around the corner and she can hear her boss on the phone. She goes like, I'm going to ask about vacation later, right? And she, she walks the other way with someone else. And maybe you are uncomfortable with anger, right? Maybe you're more mellow and you have a hard time tapping into your anger. Uh, I did have a clip. I'm not going to show it to you, though. It was about uh, Barack Obama during a correspondence film. Uh, sorry, during the correspondence um, the news press thing, and uh, he has an anger translator named Luther. How many of you have seen this? Oh, yeah. All right, oh, only a handful, y'all. I encourage you to look it up later. Uh, you know, and it's because President Obama's a fairly mellow guy, and he, he doesn't really translate his anger well, so he has to hire someone to come in and say what he's really thinking in an angry tone, right? And it ends with, you need therapy. Uh, anger is something that is in all of us, right? It's an emotion that some of us are more comfortable with than others, and it's a powerful force in the human experience. All that you had to do was sit back and watch the 2016 election unfold to see that our nation has some deep-seated anger, most of which had not and continues to fail to work through. So the LA Times ran an article in July of 2016, and it was titled, How an Angry National Mood is Reflected in Pop Culture. The opening paragraph is this. Our screens and phones fume with righteousness. Our superheroes have forsaken us, and our fictions pale against our headlines. Social media taunts have poisoned our political discourse and disfigured our reality. We have become an angry, fractious lot, a Game of Thrones for a digitized and unsettled century. I think that is so true of the climate of our culture today. And so what can we do? What what does our anger teach us about ourselves, right? It's like the Hulk. (laughs) You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Really, what's to be afraid of? about our anger. Why wouldn't I like you when you're angry? 
What can our anger teach us about ourselves? And perhaps more importantly, what does it teach us about God? What does it teach us about our relationship to this God? And how in the world can we navigate through the complexity of anger and stay in relationship with one another? Well, it turns out that our scriptures have uh, a lot to say about anger. The word for anger in Hebrew is ka'as. You got to be careful with that one. Uh, it's mentioned uh, 54 times in the Old Testament. And the word for anger in Greek is orgezo. It's eight times in its unique forms in the New Testament. Anger is, is not unique to our society and our time and our place. People have always been angry. And so we heard from uh, Ephesians a little earlier. I want to talk a little bit about the background of Ephesians as we wrestle with that text this morning. Historically, Ephesians, which is found in the New Testament, is attributed to Paul. Although maybe Paul didn't write it, and you can tell I'm not really a stickler for detail because I really don't care who wrote it. It's in our Bible, and so it's authoritative. Uh, but we'll just say that Paul wrote Ephesians for now. Uh, if you're more interested in that uh, conversation, we can have a, a conversation about it afterwards. And so who was Paul? Right? Paul is that guy whose first name was Saul and was famous for persecuting Christians. Right? He was sort of um, angry and would go around and uh, find Christian communities, put them to the sword or get rid of them or make them quiet or whatever you want to say. Uh, and then later, Jesus got a hold of him and he does a whole entire 180, turns around and his name changes to Paul and he becomes one of the largest missionaries, church planners, big time pastors in the ancient Near East in the first century. This is who Paul was. He wrote to a church at Ephesus. It's found here in modern-day Turkey, uh, right down the Mediterranean. That's where you can find Ephesus. And you can go visit Ephesus today. It looks a little something like this. Now, these are the ruins at Ephesus. It's still there. So uh, it's, a, it's a real place. I find often when we read the Bible and you read names, it's sort of like the Chronicles of Narnia or Star Wars or the Lord of the Rings. You're like so-and-so and so-and-so in the land of Mordor. And you're like, I don't know where that is, right? Ephesus is real. You can go and visit it. Paul journeyed there. He set up a church there. There's still evidence of all that today. And so when we turn to Ephesians and look closely, I want to look at the first verse again. It's verse 26. It says this, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And the first thing I want to say is, <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> right? Has St. Has Paul ever been angry? Does he, does, he, does he know what he's talking about, right? And like the third thing I want to say is, uh, what? <laughs> Be angry, but do not sin? Like, I thought these were one and the same at some times, right? Like, I can't help myself. How can one be angry and not sin? Right? How can one be angry and not sin? One, anger is not necessarily a sin. And a good example of this, right, is none other than Jesus Christ. We'll recall that in every single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus was angry more than a few times. On one particular instance, he was so angry, he took the time to craft a whip, go into the temple, start whipping folks around and say, get out of here. You will not turn my father's house, which is supposed to be a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. And he overturns the tables. He's breaking property. He is very upset, you could say. He might be, he might be angry, <laughs> right? Anger is not always a sin. And Jesus is a good example of being angry and not sinning. 
When we look at the emotion of anger, it is, it's complicated. And we need to recognize that anger comes from God. It was Carl Jung, the founder of analytical philosophy, who published and influenced works from literature, philosophy, theology, anthropology, and beyond. He said, anger, this painful emotion, is of God. It's of God. And if we sit back and think about that for a second, if God created all things, right, and God created us and we are made in the image of God, if God created all things, yeah, God created like dogs and cats and butterflies, but God also created like happiness and joy and hunger and like me and all of, all of me, all of me. And if anger is one of the sort of base emotions that I can experience, that means God is the author of anger. And we sit with that for a few years, right? God is the author of anger. God created everything, yes, even anger. And so what does anger do for us, right? I think it points to a violation of something true and beautiful and good. Anger is a good thing, and without it, we would not have a sense that some other good is being violated. When good things are violated, anger is an appropriate response. Sin is not. When good things are being violated, anger is an appropriate response. Sin is not. When the image of God is being violated in other people, it is appropriate to be angry. When justice is being bent and broken in our society and in the lives of others, it is appropriate to be angry. When fairness, beauty, and peace are being distorted, it is appropriate to be angry. Anger is an appropriate response. Paul in Ephesians says, be angry, just don't sin. Okay, Paul, I'll listen to your advice, right? It's in the Bible, it's authoritative, I'll, I'll wrestle with that, I'll sit with that. But like, what, what sins come out of anger, right? What sins come out of anger? And friends, that is a huge question, right? But let me put it this way. If your anger causes division between you and somebody else, and you are unable to reconcile that division because of your anger, sin is probably into the picture, right? Jesus teaches about this in the Sermon on the Mount. There's one more thing about this passage that uh, continues to confuse me, it confuddles me, and I, I think about it. And maybe you heard the words this morning, and maybe uh, I'll see if Jake can pull it up. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How many of you heard that from our reading this morning? It's, uh, it's something that I'm wrestling with, I'm sitting with, I'm thinking about. What does it mean to, to grieve the Holy Spirit? It's a very unique phrase in the New Testament. It's only found here. Uh, it is uh, similar to language used in Isaiah 63 that says they rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit. I think what it's pointing to is a couple things. First, it's pointing to the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the community. That the Holy Spirit is at work. And if we kind of bemoan or grieve the work of the Holy Spirit, we are interrupting what the community needs to experience. 
And so if I bemoan the work of the Holy Spirit, I'm really getting in the way of God moving and working in the community. I think that might be something that it's pointing to. Paul talks a little bit about baptism here. And so there's a covenant language together that we are brothers and sisters, and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to seal that and to work together so that we are one family together, unified. And if we bemoan the work of the Holy Spirit, then we're getting in the way of the covenant that we take together as people of God. Sometimes we can be a little resistant to the Holy Spirit, right? Sometimes, not all, maybe, maybe more often than not. I'm not sure. And maybe that's what it means to bemoan the Holy Spirit, to resist the work of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes it's easier to sort of sit with our anger. It's easier to hold on to that resentment. It's easier to be upset with that person and not have the difficult conversation of reconciliation. Because that's too painful. That's too hard to look someone in the eye and say, I am very upset with you because you wronged something. That's the difficult conversation. And we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I think in part, this is what Paul's talking about. He says, don't bemoan the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Let it work. Let the Holy Spirit guide your conversations, actions, and those reconciling moments. So that there can be unity together. So that you will not sin in your anger. I think that's what Paul might be talking about here. The good news is that God does not leave us in our anger. God does not abandon us to ourselves. God does not say there is no other way. The good news is that when we embrace the anger that we feel when we recognize it is from God, and we recognize it points to an injustice in the world around us, then it can be constructive. When we don't bemoan the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, our anger and the work of the Holy Spirit can be constructive. When we don't allow our anger to cause impassable divides between us and other people, then Our anger can be constructive. This is the good news this morning for you and I. So for me, last week, I gave up anxiety for Lent, right? I wonder if you did the same thing. I gave it up. It's a a spiritual practice during this Lenten season. I gave up anxiety, and I'm practicing my trust, right? My trust in a God who loves us, cares for us, provides for us, and wants the very best for us. So today I'm, I'm adding to that spiritual discipline. Today I'm giving up anger for Lent. I'm going to lean in and practice forgiveness and mercy, compassion, and hard conversations. And I hope you'll do the same this Lent as we give up anxiety and anger and ultimately lean in to what God has for us as alternatives. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.